Hello, Hoopaholics. Welcome to the Box in One podcast, episode two. I'm Coach Spins here with our guy, Dakota Schmidt. Dakota's a longtime friend. We've written together at several sites before, but there's nobody out there that covers the G League more, thir- more thoroughly and with a greater understanding of basketball than Dakota. So, Dakota, as we get going here, the one question that everybody wants to know, first and foremost, how you doing? Uh, good. I'm doing good. And uh, yeah, we did write for a few of the same sites together, and I don't know if any of them still exist. <laughs> <laughs> things things change and have a way of evolving, but I'm glad we were able to link up here. And, and ahead of the NBA season, I think what most people get lost in the shuffle is the development of these players long-term. And in the preseason, yeah. a time right now, we're seeing that, right? A lot of these young guys are getting off to great starts or the rosters are really large and fan bases are paying attention to some of the guys on the fringes right now. And a month from now, when they're no longer on the 15 man roster, that tends to go away a little bit. And that's where a guy like you comes into play because you do a great job tracking all of these players throughout the entire season. So I'm excited to dive into that with you in a moment, but we do have one question that we're going to ask every single guest here on the box and one podcast. So we're going to start off with this one, Dakota. You're coaching a team that's up three with five seconds to go in the game. And it's the other team's ball. Do you instruct your team to foul? Yes. Yes, you do. I, I feel like that's the, that's a logical thing to do. Uh, at worst, like at worst, you let them get two points and you get the ball back. Right. And so feel like that's the best option you have to go with. So you you trust your ability to inbound, your offense, your all those things that uh, you'd rather not gamble on on them making a three. That's what training camp, uh, training camp practices for. Fair enough. I'm, I'm <laughs> right there with you. But I, I'm really curious, Dakota, because we've known each other for a long time, but I never asked you the specific question. How did you get into this work? And, and specifically with the G League, why choose there? How did that become your focus? Um. I started, I'm 27 now, so I started writing about the G League when I was 18. Then it was the uh, NBA D League. And I wanted to, I wanted to write about basketball, and I knew I wanted to write about basketball, but I wanted my own path. And, you know, at that time, you know, the the landscape of basketball blogging was a lot more expansive. You know, you still had the uh, ESPN Troop sites around, and, and you still had, you know, obviously the SB Nation team sites and, you know, all the other different outlets that write about uh, the NBA. So I figured it, it's probably really tough to, you know, get into that lane when there's so many people in there, you know, both from a general NBA sense and from, you know, a team sense that um, I needed to uh, find my own lane. And I guess that lane was uh, at that time, NBA uh, D-League basketball, and I kind of actually had a relationship uh, or an understanding of the D-League because when I was um, when I was in high school, this is going to sound extremely nerdy, but there was a there was a website like 09, uh, 2010 when I was in high school called uh, Ucaster and allowed people to actually host like live uh, shows and do like play by play, and um, I know nothing about the about the league. But knowing that they live streamed their games on the D League website, I uh, did uh, play by play of a D League game when I was like 15 in <laughs> 2009. So, uh, so yeah, 
Um, I, I had that, you know, basic uh, familiarity with the D-League at that time. And, um, you know, 2012, I, you know, picked it up and I've been, you know, going ever since. And you, and you do a great job with your coverage, but as somebody who's been around that level of basketball for as long as you have, you start to notice all of these trends and the G League changing as a whole. It, it's evolved so much just over that 10 or 11 year span since you really began covering it or, or broadcasting some of those <laughs> games uh, as a hobby. And, and what are some of the biggest trends or changes that you've noticed over that time that are, in my estimation, pretty much everything about the league is, is improving and, and moving in a positive direction. But what are some of the biggest changes that, that you've noticed? Um, during a time, expansion. Expansion to the point where you have, geez, 20, I think it's after 28 regular G-League teams, and you have the G-League night, you know, top, um, I guess, high school, t- top youth talent, you know, in uh, some of the top youth talent in basketball, in uh, Capitanis, uh, who are, who's going to start next year, who is, you know, uh, more of, you know, the top uh, Latin American uh, prospects. But when I started, I think there were, like, 16 teams, and, you know, with, like, you had the four-way Maddens, and you had, like, four NBA teams that are affiliated with that. And there were like some horror stories of a rookie Bruno Caboclo uh, being assigned to the Mad Ants, but not getting um, any playing time, despite him being a, you know, major prospect with the uh, Toronto Raptors um, at that time. So now we're at the point where all but two teams, you know, unfortunately the Suns, and the Trailblazers are the lone exception, but every NBA team besides two have their own affiliate. And we also have, you know, two really intriguing teams filled with top youth talent and top Latin America talent is, is both huge, significant, but also extremely exciting as somebody that's been, you know, at this for as long as I have. For sure. And, and I think, you know, the professional nature of the league has grown. It used to have this perception of where guys who are going to ever struggle to make the NBA are stuck or, or where yeah. they get their roots. And it's become much more of a development path where, you know, first round picks, second round picks spend some quality time down there and they're able to move up and progress within the organization that drafts them because there is that continuity. It isn't, you know, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants just hoarding any developmental player from NBA franchises they can in order to turn a profit. The fact that there's continuity between all those levels really goes a long way. And I think one of the the best inventions from the NBA over the last couple of years that is proof that that process works are those two-way deals, right? The, The ability for NBA teams to have that flexibility between levels, which is again, built on continuity, but benefits the player and the team as a whole. So when you're watching guys who are in the G League, what are you, what tools are you using? How are you thinking about their fit within the NBA? Are you watching a lot of NBA film to try to figure out, you know, what the trends are at that level and try to see what translates from the G League? Is it more skill-based of, I know this guy is killing it in competition down here, so he deserves a shot at the next level. Where do you fall on the skill versus fit continuum? Um, in terms of skills of uh, G-League guys that uh, G-League call-ups that have been able to actually stick into the NBA, 
it's not simple, but shooting and defense. <laughs> uh, guys, guys like Duncan Robinson, you know, um, that can really shoot the ball, or you know, a guy like Alex Caruso, uh, that is you know fantastic and you know hardworking on the you know defense end. And so those two type of players, along with you know some, uh, I guess some you call them like unicorns, uh, you know, bigger guys that can you know, you know, shoot, pass, and drive like Christian Wood. And, you know, Chris Boucher, who have also been able to take around. So basically shooting, defense, and if you're a, if you're a big that can, you know, work with the ball in your hands, shoot a bit, and, you know, uh, dish off while also being, you know, competent on the uh, defense end, then I feel like uh, your path towards, you know, making it to the, uh, make it, making it to the NBA in the second round is uh, pretty good. Yeah, the stigma is gone, right? So yeah. all of those guys who are developmental or have those unique skills but don't necessarily have the opportunity to showcase them or play and get those reps at the NBA level are embracing that. And I think that's where you're talking about, whether it's a role player who's shooting or defense, those roles easily translate. Yeah. If you do them well at the G League level, you're going to be able to do them well at the NBA level because it's not a high usage position. It's mm-hmm. cut and paste. This is your role here. That's going to be your role there. Then there are those guys who, like you're talking about, the Christian Woods, the more unicorn types, who need a lot of reps and game action in NBA-style situations in order to hone in on what it is that they're going to be able to do to impact the game when they get to the NBA level because they don't have those reps playing behind somebody. They're just a little bit too raw, too young. Maybe they're on a team that – isn't going to play that style right now, but is going to try to commit to it in the future. Whatever the the case may be, the the G League being a really viable option in that area is is fantastic. And and that's what I love about the two-way deals. There has not been a one-size-fits-all approach from NBA teams and how they want to use those two ways. Some are taking the safe route with guys that they know can fill in and play minutes if there's an injury or they, they need a little bit more depth. Others are using that as an opportunity to just swallow up intriguing young talent that somehow fell through the draft and and essentially use that like a 61st and 62nd pick, if you will. So there's so many different avenues that you can explore if you're a general manager, somebody who's running an NBA franchise to really make this work. And, And that's encouraging to me. But it also leaves a lot of room for teams to do things differently. And, and I'm curious, Dakota, do you find that one strategy is more fruitful that, than the other? Is there one team that you think handles either their two-way deals or their G League program really effectively? Um, in terms of teams that really handle the uh, G League program really well, I would have to, for the last three, four years, the, the one name that comes to mind would be the uh, Raptors on five. And the Toronto Raptors, I mean, just look at the, you know, the team that won the title, you know, a few years ago where, you know, Chris Boucher, Fred Van Vliet, and Norma Pohl were, you know, some of the significant, you know, factors along with, you know, Clyde Leonard and Kyle Lowry. Uh, you know, those three players were just in the G League a few years, you know, before, uh, you know, they won the title. And in terms of uh, two ways, it only honestly depends on the organization and depends on the structure. Like, you know, with the Oklahoma City Thunder, they signed uh, Lou Dort to a two-way deal, you know, a few years ago. I, since COVID, like, my years have kind of been <laughs> mixed up <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. 
But, you know, I guess two, three years ago when uh, Lou Dort, who should have been drafted, but went undrafted, um, I, I actually think that Lou Dort's agent pushed him to uh, go undrafted, if I remember correctly. And, you know, in his rookie year, uh, it was two years ago. It was yeah. 2019-20. So two years ago, Lou Dort, uh, who is like in that Alex Caruso archetype of guys that, you know, have been able to transfer over to the NBA because he's so good on the defense end, uh, you know, in his rookie year, played a lot of minutes with the OKC Blue. Then he got an opportunity in the G League, uh, I mean, in the uh, NBA Disney World uh, bubble to shine. And, you know, look at him now, you know, with the Oklahoma City Thunder and, you know, him being a really significant part of uh of that rebuilding team but you know with the with a you know uh team that with you know playoff aspirations you know they want to you know maybe use that two-way slot and guy with you know three four years of you know actual NBA experience in more of a you know more of a depth role which you know i you know really understand yeah and you know it's fascinating i keep thinking that this year the one team that comes to mind to me to, to watch is, is Los Angeles Clippers because they drafted a lot of really young guys and they continue to take pretty good swings. In the past, they have a solid track record of bringing guys up to their, their NBA. Everybody level. besides centers. A- anybody besides centers. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair point. But even like even they got a lot out of Anthony Bennett for yeah. a couple of years that he was there. And, and what they've been able to do through their G League program, I think that this year – they are in a strange position because they don't have Kawhi Leonard at the NBA level. And my thought is that from the top down, they have the sense of we're going to get a ton of young talent, try to develop them this year, see if one, two, or three of them stick either enough to help us in the rotation in the next two or three years while our title windows open, or be a really attractive trade asset where we get a really strong return on our investment. I think that's smart. That's that's how you should use a G League program. You're not going to be able to furnish an entire NBA roster of guys that are G League alums or that you drafted and developed down there, nor should you. But being able to turn them into something positive, whether it's collecting a lot of them at the same time and trying to figure out which one or two line up with your timeline or just flipping them for assets down the line, because eventually the Clippers are going to want to raise that NBA title with Kawhi and Paul George there and cash out on some of those younger investments. I, I find that smart. Uh, I've also always admired what the Miami Heat do. Oh, yeah. Pop down from there. And, and that's crazy because the Heat's affiliate is so far away from Miami. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and and what they do with the with with their G League organization, I mean, mm-hmm. they seem to always be discovering, you know, these diamonds in the rough. Duncan yeah. Robinson, like you mentioned, was that type of player. Hassan Whiteside was this outcast that they kind of reclaimed during his time with the Heat's G League program. And what they've been able to do in terms of continuity there, um, I think a huge part of that also comes with the coaching staff, right? Chris Quinn, former yeah. head coach there in the G League, has moved up to the NBA level. And, and they really- I mean, just look, look at um, – I think Chris Quinn was actually an assistant, but, like, look at, like, guys like Taylor Jenkins, guys like Nick Nurse – or Chris Finch, all these, you know, current NBA head coaches that, you know, uh, 
you know, had a run, had a stint, you know, in the G League, or even look at, you know, the uh, the college game with uh, Jerry Stackhouse at, uh, at Vandy. You know, he was, you know, the head coach of the Raptors on five team that had, you know, Siakam and Van Fleet. So, you know, the, the G League is uh, both a great way to develop players, but also to uh, develop uh, coaches, too. I'm I'm going to take that point and run with it there because okay, I, 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 I'm a coach myself. I love diving into the X's and O's, but what I've noticed from talking with people who are within the G League before is that a lot of times top down from the NBA organizations, they want to use their G League program as an innovation laboratory mm-hmm. to try something new tactically, schematically to see if it translates to the NBA level. You know, I know Nevada Smith, when he was the head coach of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, they were playing super, super fast <laughs> and taking yeah. a ton of threes. And, and I believe they were required to take a two for one at the end of every single quarter. Didn't really matter what was going on, what the time and score was. They had to play for a two for one at the end of the first, second or third quarters. You know, what was it? Coach Arsenal, who came mm-hmm. from Grinnell and brought that system, yeah. you know, big horns. And we yeah, all and, uh, he, he implemented a hockey assists. Yep. Yep. So yeah. the way that all of these programs are are innovating in those ways, it brings this fascinating dichotomy to me that I've still struggled to wrap my head around. Because on one hand, the the NBA and the game of basketball as a whole improves when you have a a training ground or a place where you can try these new ideas, see if they're successful, and then implement them on the big stage later. On the other hand, it's a league that's so concerned with player development that you almost wonder if having those organizational imperatives allows the players themselves to get lost in the shuffle, right? We're so concerned with, we're going to take this many threes. We're going to pay, play at this statistical pace. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. Are we therefore not developing the players to be the best that they can be at the NBA level. I don't, I don't know how to wrap my head around that. And I don't know if, if you have or, or encountered some of those similar thoughts in your years covering the league. Um, that's, that's like an interesting perspective to take because you look at every single, you know, um, NBA team and they have different philosophies when it comes to just coaches that they bring in. Like a lot of them, you know, have guys that were, you know, video coordinators or assistants, uh, with the big league club, but there's also um, uh, teams that bring in uh, guys from you know other other areas. You know, college basketball. Uh, the current head coach of the Clippers uh, G League team is uh, Paul Hewitt, who yeah. uh, coached uh, who, who coached a long time um, in college and um, that guy, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with the with uh, the Pelicans G League team, the Birmingham Squadron, you have uh, Ryan Pannone, who you know coached a lot um, over overseas. Um, Austin, you have uh, with the Austin Spurs, the um, the San Antonio Spurs affiliate, you have Matt Nielsen, who um, who you know was a was a coach over you know in Australia. So so yeah, just just based on the team by team uh, perspective, you can see how. Uh, how they're taking different approaches with what they want, uh, you know, from their G League teams when it comes to like a individual player develop, development standpoint, uh, creativity um, standpoint, and from a you know system standpoint. 
Well, big shout out to Ryan Pannone, one of the one of the best X's and O's guys out there. Uh, so love love to see you giving him some love. But yeah, yeah, it's I think people think of the G League as a one size fits all approach, mm-hmm. right? Here we have this player; he needs to develop. Send him down to the G League. That's what they're there for. And there's so many other aspects of this. They're developing coaches, like you mentioned. They're developing players to either become the best player skill wise that they could be, or fit specifically in a mold that helps them in their NBA team. They're trying new ideas out, trying to innovate and see if any of them are going to translate to their NBA team. There's so much more going on than just develop these players, get the reps, get better, go. And a lot of times people are, I don't want to say blind to that, but because we're not paying so much attention to the nuts and bolts and the decision-making that goes on behind the scenes that a lot of times that, that aspect can get overlooked. I don't know if over the years of covering the G League, you found one specific player or a case of a few who at first you you were skeptical of, I don't know if they're going to make it to the NBA level. This guy's really raw or his skill set doesn't necessarily translate. And now you look back at it and he's made it and and kind of overcome some of their doubts. Have, have there been cases like that for you in the past? Um, Alex Caruso is a guy that was kind of in his – First season when he was with the LKC Blue, he's a guy that I really, unfortunately, didn't keep much of an eye on. There was another player on that team that was trying to track his development, and unfortunately, he didn't uh, break out to the NBA, and that was uh, Dakari Johnson, the oh, big yeah. guy used to be with uh, with Kentucky. Yeah. And it was until um, his uh, the summer of his second season when he was in Summer League with LA where I saw – Cruz, I'm like, wow, he can be somebody. <laughs> and now years later, he has turned into somebody. So unfortunately, Alex Caruso is somebody that took me a while to, you know, really figure out because like when he was in when he was in college, he was not the number one or number two option with uh, Texas A&M. So right. you know, I kind of just based on that and based on him not being the number one, number two option, um, I really didn't focus a lot on him, but, you know, cases like Alex Caruso allowed me to really uh, learn who, which types of players to, you know, keep an eye on because, you know, NBA teams don't look at, you know, points per game, the points per game leaderboard. I'm like, okay, let's take that guy. You know, let's take the guy that's, you know, number one or number two in points per game because, you know, if they have a high usage, you know, in the D League, they're not going to have a high usage when they, you know, make it to the NBA. You know, it's kind of like what we talked about before where, you know, you can, you know, you know, you can pick a good uh, catch shoot uh, guy or, you know, you can pick a guy uh, that can, you know, move around on the, you know, defensive end and, you know, be a menace on that end and, you know, be more comfortable that he's going to be able to translate that to the NBA than a guy that puts up like 25 to 28 points per game on you know not that great of a efficient of a efficiency yeah i will play counterpoint with you there because a lot of times if you have a prospect who's you know either you have their draft rights or they're on assignment down to the g league on their two-way contract you feel a certain level of comfort knowing that they can go out there and get 25 or 30. It's not necessarily what their NBA role is going to be, but it probably indicates to you that their baseline level of talent is able to fit at the NBA. And, and, and that's, that's always a really hard scale to balance. Yeah. But I was talking more about like, 
guys on standard yep. two of the contracts you know you know smaller smaller uh guards that would be considered undersized from an mba perspective sure. then you know assignees that you know are able to ball out at the uh, G-, G League level. But I want to actually kind of go back to the conversation that uh, we were having, and you were, you know, really interested in what the LA, uh, LA Clippers are doing with the young talent that they're bringing in. And I'm intrigued too. Um, unfortunately, we're not probably not going to be able to see uh, Jason Preston right. this year, which I really wanted to see because his, his ability as a facilitator is just, in my eyes, the second to none. Uh, last year when he was with Ohio, but looking away from that, you know, a guy like, you know, Brand Boston, a guy like, you know, the second year guy in, you know, Jay Scrub or, you know, um, or Moses Wright are guys I'm really excited yeah. to see play. And, you know, the fact that the LA Clippers have, uh, have Paul Hewitt, too, you know, is really experienced at the college level. And it's also funny that Moses Wright is going to be playing with a former uh, Georgia Tech head coach. It's really going to be fun to see because you you think uh maybe you'd have a different perspective on him as a coach but uh of a you know guy with you know uh college experience bringing bringing in guys that you know just came out of college that there would uh i guess be more comfort both from a Paul's perspective and you know from the perspective of a you know a player that you know i i guess can look back at Paul's history in college or you know know that they're going to have a similar type of coach that will be able to deal with uh younger players because of their uh you know past uh, experience i don't know if uh, i was confused in there or no I, I i got you i think that you know guys like hewitt or who come from his background certainly have a certain amount of cachet because they've done it before they've won games yeah and bringing that pedigree always gets guys to buy in I also think that there's an advantage, like you talk about, being able to re- relate to players who are yeah. 19, 20, 21 years old because you've coached them in the past. You know, sometimes NBA assistant coaches or those who have moved from film room to G League to wherever they end up being haven't had that same experience before. And Hewitt is going to be very, very polished in those areas, which is only a positive for the Clippers. I, I think that there's also positives to be gained from having a younger, hungrier guy or somebody who really has cut their teeth on an NBA bench in an NBA system because they have credibility as well for, hey, I know what it takes to get to this level. I've been around the NBA for the last several years. So I I think Hewitt's a really good hire, but I don't think that comes at the expense of other type of coaches necessarily being negatives in those ways. I hope hope that makes sense. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And I think one trend that I feel like I kind of hope and think we'll, we'll be seeing in the G League in years to come is NBA teams bringing in guys with regular just player development um, experience, individual, you know, player skilled uh, development. One example of that uh, last year in the G League, G League was uh, Jay Hernandez, who was the uh, um, head coach uh, of the Greensboro Swarm for a year when they were in the uh, – G League bubble, and if you know anything about Jay Hernandez, you know, before he even was, you know, in the NBA with uh, Charlotte or with Orlando, he was, you know, you know, working on the East Coast with, 
you know, Tobias Harris and training him. So guys with, you know, that kind of experience with developing players from, you know, an individual perspective and being able to um, build that chemistry with players and, you know, know how to develop their skills that they need to work on. I feel like NBA teams are going to start they should start centering that more alongside with the, you know, uh, you know, video coordinators, assistant coaches, or, you know, experienced coaches that they, you know, bring, uh, bring in. Yeah. And Jay is one of the best, uh, certainly a player development. You know, he's as well organized as you'll find for somebody who's been in his role in his shoes in the past there. And, and look, we could talk organizationally about all of these teams and these players, because you and I are the, are the hoops nerds. We like getting back <laughs> into the weeds and all this stuff. But I know a lot of our, our viewers and listeners here are going to be attracted to our podcast because we do a lot around the NBA draft and player development. And I think this is a unique time ahead of the season to be thinking about some of those players that were drafted over the last year or two that are likely to find their time in the G league, whether that's a, a guy who was drafted this year, that is a little bit raw or might be behind some players on his own team, like a Josh Primo or a Keon Johnson with the, the LA Clippers. Maybe it's a guy who was a rookie last year that played in the G league and, and might go back down there for a little bit of time, but you're expecting to take a, a next step up. Are there specific players right now that you are just so enamored by and, and fascinated with that you are looking forward to tracking this upcoming season? I don't want this to be a LA Clippers focused episode, but um, I'm sorry about that. I didn't plan that in advance. But uh, one player, one player that's on a current NBA roster and on a standard, you know, rookie contract that I'm really hoping to see goes to go to the G League is Brandon Boston. Because um, he is somebody at his age that is so comfortable working with the ball in the stands and creating off the dribble, um, but is so raw in, you know, other different areas that I feel like the G League would be a good way for him to both be able to build confidence with his off-the-dribble work, uh, but also be there to, you know, get more reps and, you know, work to become, you know, a more, you know, consistent player and, you know, continue to develop when it comes to, you know, scoring through contact, which was, uh, you know, issue for him at, um, at Kentucky. So when it comes to, when it comes to rookies on standard NBA contracts, um, Brandon Boston is a, is a guy that, uh, you know, really sticks out to me. I also um, want to see the uh, continued, the development of, or, Let's actually talk about, you know, uh, rookies on, you know, two-way deals that I actually want to see. Uh, Jericho Sims is a guy that continues to really stand out to me. Uh, he stood out to me when I just watched his tape a few weeks ago. He stood out at uh, Summer League. Uh, if you know anything about my Twitter, um, I'm a huge fan of Jose Alvarado. <laughs> Again, we keep on talking about Georgia Tech for some weird reason. Um, <laughs> But, but one player, uh, more more experienced player, that I feel like uh, fans should keep an eye on is uh, Louis King, a uh, forward that was fantastic in summer league and somebody that has really developed a lot. Uh, this is going to be his uh, third season 
in the NBA, but uh, last year when he was with uh, West, the Westchester Knicks, he developed into a pretty solid catch-and-shoot player. And that skill, along with his size and his length, makes him somebody that I really think uh, can develop into a bona fide NBA player, if not in you know this season, uh, maybe uh, next season. I feel like he's uh, somebody that fans should uh, – uh, really keep an eye on. And for uh, Washington, uh, Cassius Winston, yep. uh, he's going to be in his uh, second season. Um, I like what a little of what I saw of him uh, last season and, you know, going back to his time in uh, college, he's a player I feel like fans should uh, keep an eye on uh, this year. Man, what what a unique group of five players, that you <laughs> right? Because you've got the, the BJ Bostons and – you know, he's very raw physically. He was highly touted coming out of high school. You've got the the Louis Kings, right? The guys who were really high-level recruits, mm-hmm. great high school players that didn't quite pan out early in their career and are, are starting to piece it back together. If there's one guy for a, a, a BJ Boston to kind of emulate and see, hey, if I just hone in on what I need to do, make sure that I'm developing a specific role in niche that I can thrive in. I'm going to make it to the NBA level because King is right on the cusp of that. He was, yeah. he was great in the summer league this year. You know, th- then there's the other guys that you mentioned, the Jericho Sims, who's a super hard worker <laughs> and just sticks in his very narrow lane and does that so, so, so well. I think you could say the same about a guy like Alvarado, who's a mm-hmm. really hard player, but doesn't have the greatest amount of natural talent in the world com- compared to some of the other guys that we're bringing up here. So uh, just a, a really unique blend. And I only say that to bring up the point that all of these guys can find their way to the NBA. It's not just a place where we have raw, but super talented guys that go, the hard workers stand out there too, and, and end up earning their way into the NBA rosters. And when it comes to hard workers, another guy, um, I guess, because I just watched his film recently is uh, Justin Champagne, yeah. uh, the guy from Pitt. Man, his his ability on the boards at his size is was tremendous, but he can also move on the perimeter. He can, you know, shoot, uh, you know, that mid-range a little bit. I feel like uh, I feel like Toronto has a has a guy that can can really be something at the next level. But when it comes to when it comes to guys like Luke King and when it comes to guys like Brand Boston. The one major thing is to maintain maintain that confidence, maintain that poise, because you know those two guys, you know, you know, were so high level coming out of high school, didn't have you know great years in college, and you know, with Kane went on draft and with Boston very late in the draft, you know that you know going from a sudden high coming out of high school to a sudden low uh, coming out of college has broken. A lot of players in in the past and you know spending time you know in the g league where the grind is tough you know the grind is you know travel is not like what it was at kentucky or you know what it was at oregon um you know can break a player spirit but if they have the you know i guess uh personal infrastructure there when it comes to when it comes to you know a good g league coach Hmm. when it comes to a good set of teammates you know that is so important so vital for uh you know has been so vital for a player like louis kane who has been able to continue to grow 
and develop despite, you know, I guess the, the fall from, you know, the college to the pro, um, pro level that he took yeah. and how he's been able to rebound from that. And I hope uh, to see that again with a guy uh, like uh, BJ Boston. Well, I'm so glad you brought up the term player infrastructure. Right. Because this is not just a place where we're talking about X's and O's and Mm. individual skill development and hitting the weight room. These are guys who are getting their first taste of professional basketball. Yeah. And it is not a glorious lifestyle in the G League when you are flying from Sioux Falls to Reno and, you know, going to location to location where you're in smaller airports, you're playing in front of smaller crowds, you're where you're riding in coach. (laughs) <laughs> you're riding in coach. When you're when you're when you're a six 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 seven player riding coach on flights, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm six foot, and uh, my uh, my my leg room on my uh, flight I took this year to uh, summer league was not that great. Yeah. And these players are six five six seven inches taller than I am. It's and that's tough. But there's so much that goes into that. Whether yeah. it's you know the the learning of the dietary stuff that goes into training, sleep habits mm-hmm. that NBA teams are are really having to to instill within players at early stages in their careers. Talking about personal responsibility, financial responsibility that a lot of the players' union and these teams are overseeing and helping with. Finding ways to get into the gym in an off day learning what it's like to be on the, like, these are, are trying times when you're not getting that return back of I'm playing in front of 20,000 fans every single night, or I'm with a, a team that has a chance to either win a championship or allow me to get minutes and fulfill my dream at the NBA level. And I'm so glad you brought up veterans and yeah. having the right players around them to, to really fit through that, because that's the unsung hero throughout this entire process and the missing piece of the puzzle Teams are so focused a lot of times on developing young talent or hoarding young talent that they often forget about surrounding them with players that can show them the ropes. And it's something that we talk about a lot as high school coaches in terms of having our upperclassmen continue to model the appropriate behavior, the expectations that you have for younger guys. The same thing goes in professional basketball. You know, I always worry about a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder this year because they have so many young guys that are talented and need reps and and can develop, but they've got Derek favors and a bunch of coaches that are really (laughs) the only ones experienced enough to show them the ropes and and what they're supposed to do. And in the G league, that's ever more important because mentally it is a, a really challenging type of season to go through. And talk about veterans. um, You know, the, the one big breakthrough of the G league over the last few years has been the G league ignite. Yeah. You know, uh, last year, you know, the big stars, you know, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, and, you know, even, you know, Isaiah, you know, Todd, Isaiah Todd was a early second round pick. But even even that team that was so much centered on developing, you know, the top high school players, they understood that. They understood the importance of having veterans and bringing, bringing in, you know, an NBA vet in Amir Johnson and bringing in an NBA vet in Jared Jack or even, uh, you know, a guy with so much experience overseas and, you know, uh, you know, Bobby Brown, that was able to, you know, show them the ropes on how to be a professional and how to be a professional, both, you know, when it comes from an encore perspective, but all the, you know, numerous factors, you know, off the court and just, just maturing. And it's, it's crazy how the ignite a team that was so much centered or obviously, you know, uh, you know, 
the veterans on the court that brought it uh, brought up, but also um, Brian Shaw, who you know is a veteran both from the perspective of coaching, but you know obviously uh, playing, you know, with what he did with the early two thousands Lakers. And it's it's nuts how a team like Ignite that's so much centered on developing you know young young talent understands the importance. Uh, veterans more than you know some you know NBA teams and and even beyond that the the other G League programs a lot of the players that they're caring most about developing are a year two years older than these yeah. kids that are with the G League Ignite the Jalen Greens and Kamings yeah. well, there's not that large no. of a age <laughs> gap between those guys but because it's their first time in exposure out of high school there's a lot more intentionality behind that from the Ignite program and I'm I'm very curious to see if we start to have a little bit more of a trend of veterans favoring that path as opposed to either playing professionally in another league across the world. Um, And I think the legitimacy of the G League growing in terms of being able to easily make it up to NBA rosters or more easily than it was a decade ago has probably helped with that. I also think that the expansion of the two-way and rosters and trying to find more opportunities for guys is going to give them a little bit, a uh, little bit more optimism that when they come back to the United States, they might have a role there. But I'm going to leave you just with with one last question here, Dakota, before we we wrap up, is really thinking about some of those veterans, the guys that aren't necessarily in their first year or second year in the G League or or playing professional basketball. Are there some of those guys that you think are on the cusp? of moving up to the NBA and earning a, a full-time roster spot and that are just right there. It's funny you asked that because um, over the last day or so, I've been watching film of a, of a guy that has experience in the G League, but unfortunately he suffered an injury two years ago then has spent the last two years playing in Australia. And now he's back um, in the G League, and that is uh, Cameron Oliver. Cameron Oliver, former forward from uh, Nevada, super, super explosive leaper, but also from the uh, uh, NGL Australian film that I've uh, been, been watching, he um, he can move his feet uh, well on defense when it comes to uh, playing drop coverage. Um, he's he's kind of like Champagne in the fact that he can you know hit. That 18 foot jumper, he can work in a uh, high roll, he can work in, you know, you know, short roll, but also, you know, make, make quick decisions with the ball in his hands when it comes to, you know, passing. But, you know, despite the gruesome ACL injury, he still has athleticism, he still has that hop. So you can trust him, you know, working, you know, in the dunker spot. So, um, you know, he was gone for two years, um, but I have the utmost optimism in uh, Cameron Oliver, uh, you know, this year when he makes it back to the uh, D-League. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a good name. I'm also one of those tweener guys right on the edge. I love Von yeah. Kaycock from uh, – Oh, yeah. I love him. He's been great <laughs> with, with the Lakers' developmental system, and, and now he's, you know, getting his training camp shot with the, the Brooklyn Nets. So I would love to see – how some of those guys wind up, but it is not just a place for first year and second year guys. There's yes. a lot more to it. So Dakota, this has been a, a riveting conversation for me. <laughs> I always love diving deep into the, again, the, the nerdery and the weeds here, but <laughs> let the people know where they can find your work and what you got going on. Um, at Dakota underscore Schmidt, D-A-K-O-T-A underscore S-C-H-M-I-D-T on Twitter. 
Um, since I'm like, um, because I'm also working towards getting my bachelor's, um, I uh, have spent a lot of time focusing on school because, you know, being being somebody that kind of fell behind a little bit on school. So, you know, I spent a lot of time working on that. But uh, I have a big project ahead, um, a project that I've kind of a little bit over my head about, which is giving my thoughts, giving my analysis on every player on every G League roster. Whoa. Uh, I'm looking at your eyes right now. And uh, your eyes got huge. Uh, that's what I've been working on. I have a, I have a lot of uh, film that I'm going to have to uh, label and a lot of film that I'm, I still have to watch. But um, um, I guess part one of that is uh, going to be posted um, sometime we're listening to this in a week. Both, uh, I'm not. I'm not a crazy person. Where I have all all of it in one article, I'm actually gonna have them in two articles. Eastern, Western Conference. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that crazy of a person. Yeah, you're. Uh, you're. Uh, I don't know if that uh, something I should be insulted by. But <laughs> those, all those really, really long pieces. Like I, I just put out the top yeah, top two hundred. Yeah, <laughs> I, I probably need to slow my roll a little bit with that. But uh, but 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 what I'm about to do is is bigger than that. Just think, twenty eight teams plus uh, Kamatanis, plus the G League Ignite. That's 30 teams. That's 300 plus players. What am I doing? But, you know, I'm, I'm at a point right now in the project where I'm, I'm too far. I'm too far gone. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to have to continue diving down um, in the, in the, you know, rivers that I put myself into. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too well, I don't know in that project. The two things we know is that you put in the work and you do yes. a great job with your film analysis, and thank it's you 100 worth it. So Dakota, thank you for joining us here tonight on the Box and One Pod. We're going to make sure we share out all both parts of your work as soon as it gets done there. On <laughs> but for all the viewers and listeners, make sure you go follow Dakota on Twitter. Also follow his work with Ridiculous Upside, which covers the G League as a whole. You can always find our work on Substack at theboxandone.substack.com. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here, and we'll see you later.